Hello and welcome to Counterculture. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, recently in London, a primary school won an award, an inclusivity award, for its work on decolonizing the curriculum. What this meant was that the children, for example, were no longer going to be taught about the seven wonders of the world, but they were going to be taught about the South Hall uprising of 1979. The school in question is in South Hall. We're hearing a hell of a lot about this word decolonization, but it still seems to be lacking a definition. What actually does it mean and how is it imposed, particularly on the area of the most important of all being education? That's straight from schools right through to uh, the academic world. We're going to be discussing this today. I'm very pleased we've got guests from across the board of education. First of all, somebody who's not a stranger to our channel at all, Catherine Burble Singh, who is the founder and head teacher of the Michaela Free School. We have Alice Grant, who is a student and political activist. Uh, Rafe Hadelman Koo, of course, from the New Culture Forum, historian and commentator, and Calvin Robinson, who is a school teacher and school governor. Welcome, thank you very much for coming. Um, Catherine, I want to start with you, if I may. Um, people, as I say, are hearing about decolonization, decolonizing the curriculum, decolonizing this library, whatever. What does it actually mean? Well, I think it means, uh it starts from the premise that the, that the history that we teach the children uh, does not include many black uh, historical events or black figures. And, and you know, once upon a time, this really was true. Uh, and there was cause for uh, criticism of the curriculum, rightly so, because uh, black people and any other ethnic people had been kind of whitewashed out of it. So, for instance, the million Indian soldiers in uh, the world wars that participated or the several hundred thousand um, uh, Caribbean soldiers, it was as if they never existed and they were never mentioned. So the textbooks never mentioned them. Um, and you know, colonialism would have been taught in such a way to suggest that the Great Britain had done nothing wrong and that it was all wonderful for the for the for the colonies. And and obviously this just isn't true. But that that isn't the case anymore. And so, uh, well, I say it isn't the case. The, the the truth is that we don't actually know what's taught in our schools, and I do think that that's important. The curriculum is such that I don't see a problem with it with regard to it needing to be decolonized. Um, but it's true that we don't really know what children learn in history at school. Uh, at primary level, at SATs, uh, children are only assessed on their English and their maths. Uh, so you have no idea what they're being taught in history. And from one school to another, frankly, we have no idea whether they're being taught any history at all. <laughs> so I always think it's a bit of a red herring, this business of talking about, well, how many black people are involved in the, in, 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 in the, in the history. Well, you know, are they being taught history? Are they being taught it well enough to remember anything? No. And, um, and then at key stage three, so year seven, eight, and nine, again, children are not assessed nationally at all. The only time children are assessed nationally on, on history is at GCSE, but only 40% of children take history GCSE. So that means the majority of children go through their entire school careers, and we have no idea what they've learned. <laughs> and um, that in itself is, 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 is worrying, but that has nothing to do with the black issue. That has to do with the fact that uh, we don't know what's going on in our schools. And this is something that I've been shouting about for, for many years. Uh, and 
And I do think people get a bit confused as well. They, they sort of think if children can't remember something, then it hasn't been taught. And I would argue that the children are taught many things in school. They don't remember them because of the way in which they've been taught them and that there's something wrong with some of the teaching methods that we use. There's also something wrong with the behavior in our schools. And if children are constantly disrupted in their lessons, well, it's no wonder that they're not remembering anything. And then they go away and they say, well, I was never taught this. Um, well, perhaps you were, but you just don't remember. Well, it started off really as an, as an attempt to do exactly as Catherine has said, but it's gone far beyond that. I mean, we've seen here and in America and South Africa also this effort, particularly in, in universities, to get rid of statues and plaques of roads and others. But it's gone beyond that and beyond balancing or allegedly balancing the curriculum to actually questioning universal truth and universal values. This idea of basically of, of knowledge relativism, that, that, that knowledge is different but equal. So that basically those things that we've regarded as universal values uh, from the Enlightenment are merely one set of, of values and knowledge and that there are equally valid um, knowledge on, on, on similar issues you'll find in Africa or Asia when we know through empiricism that's simply not the case. And it's this idea basically that we're trying to um, re-racialize uh, education and society, that's really at the heart of the problem because what you're really having put forward now is this idea that blacks, for example, are a homogenized group, where, who are all of whom are distressed. Everyone is white, and you know that, that blacks are uniquely vulnerable and fragile, that they can't actually walk through a campus without being offended by statues and so forth, or that they are incapable of learning about Kant or Shakespeare because they're not, they're not black, you know, irrespective of the fact that you have vast numbers of students coming here from all over the world, from China and elsewhere, who have no problem at all being, being educated in, in Western universities. I mean, I'm reminded, you know, University College London formed this organization called Why Is Our Curriculum So White? And that's the problem. Why is it white? And to me, that immediately brought to mind, you know, Forty Towers scene where um, Basil Forty takes the curmudgeonly Joan Sanderson up to her hotel bedroom and she's complaining about this beautiful view of a talky scene and he, he says, it's not good enough. And he said, well, what do you expect to see from a talky window? You know, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the, the Sydney Opera House, herds of wildebeest. And what do you expect in, in, in the United Kingdom, apart from having a white curriculum, given that it's a European nation in a, major, in a majority white country? Uh, and so there's, there's complete lunacy now. From, from you know, There were absolutely justified reasons for starting this. But now, of course, it's, it's gone down this route. And so it's no, not really an issue of decolonization. It's, it's demajoritizing the curriculum. It's, it's demoralizing the population as a, as a result, and that's going to actually end up destabilizing society as a whole. So there are lots of Ds here, but it's not decolonizing. What do you understand by it, Alice? I mean, you, you are about to go up to university, aren't you? I mean, what's your experience been when we say, oh, you know, the curriculum is being decolonized? Have you had any direct experience of that yourself? Um, well, I think Catherine mentioned a really interesting point about... Um, wondering whether my generation has even been taught history properly, if at all. And I think that, indeed, history is not being taught in a way that fosters any sense of patriotism or belonging to our nation. And I think that's um, a huge reason why we're seeing these kind of BLM far-left movements, because I think the result of this is that my whole generation doesn't feel at all belonging to this country or rooted in our values or in our culture. And that's creating lots of problems. Among them are the fact that um, 
we've lost a sort of sense of, of morality and a sense of um, what being British means. Yes, you see the thing is, I, when people talk about decolonizing, specifically about British history, mm. I always, I, to me the default position over the past 40, 50 years has been very critical. I don't mm. remember in school being taught how brilliant, you know, the world was pink and, you know, and, and you know, we, this was all great, if anything, I, I remember it's actually been quite critical. It's, it's not like it was all very celebratory. I mean, Calvin, if I can come to, come to you, do these, do these things ring true to you? I mean, how do you think history, do you think history is inadequately taught? And is, is it taught in a very anti-British sort of vein, as Alice was suggesting? So, I mean, there's several issues at play here, but for me, the core of it is that I don't see our history curriculum being broken down into white history versus black history. That doesn't make any sense to how we teach it. We teach history based on events that have occurred. So the national curriculum very clearly lays out, you know, British history to teach and world history to teach. And the curriculum is very broad and very balanced. Like Catherine said, we don't know if that's being taught in all schools and how it's being taught. But what worries me about all of this is people that are asking to decolonize the curriculum are the same people that are saying we need to put more black history on the curriculum. What they're suggesting, what they're putting forward is critical race theory. And that's all of this talk about white privilege and everything gets broken down to people either being an oppressor or a victim. And I have real problems with this because I think we've gone full circle to the point that the far left are now preaching what the far right to preach in there, that it's essentially racial superiority, you know, the perpetuating the myth of white supremacy, that white people are at a national advantage and everyone else, uh, as you call it, BMEs, which is a bracket that doesn't make any sense but is somehow disadvantaged just based on the color of our skin. And we all have many advantages and disadvantages that change. None of that's constant. So I don't think we can shape the curriculum around those disadvantages. And this is the point, isn't it, really? It's sort of like it, it seems to, we hear in these terms increasingly white supremacy, as Calvin says there, you know, about the oppressed and the oppressor. I mean, this is how I understand decolonization. Yeah, so the problem is, is that everyone is being encouraged to identify as, as their race, um, as opposed to, as Alice was saying, you know, if we're teaching British history, in within British history, you might have some black figures and you might have some historical events that involves black people but you have other events as well but i would stress that there it, there was a legitimate grievance that i mean i know you're saying that it was taught in you know in a critical fashion but it's not so much it's not just that um one i don't think that was always the case uh, I think it was when, at least, like yes, yes. I mean, and, and that's in your yeah. school. The point yeah. is, is that there's great variety amongst schools, yeah, and yeah. we have no way. There's no audit that's taken of how history is taught or whether it's taught at all. We don't know what's going on in our schools, so that's key. Um, and I, I personally think that there's a lot more important stuff that we should talk about, like the fact that 20% of our children leave school that are functionally illiterate and functionally enumerate. Mm. Um, you know, if you want to help a black child uh, have a have a life, it's less about teaching him black history and more about teaching him how to read and write. You know? mm -hmm. um, but leaving that aside, uh, I mean, Rafe made some interesting points. The point is that it has gone far too far. It's become ridiculous. So to the point where people aren't, are unable to walk past a statue, a statue that no one ever noticed existed in the first place. And it's suddenly become all about taking down this statue because people are traumatized um, by walking past a statue. Um, 
Are which they is just really absurd. Are well, people? no. I mean, what I mean, what from my point of view is in secondary schools. Uh, most recently, because of BLM and what's been happening over the last few months, particularly devastating for me, is um, the traditional charter schools in America, the Success Academy in New York, uh, Uncommon Schools in New Jersey, and then KIPP schools that are across uh, the country. Uh, our motto at Michaela is work hard, be kind. And we essentially copied this from KIPP. And their motto is work hard, be nice. And we thought we'd change it to work hard, be kind. Mm. And, um, and they have got rid of their motto because it's systemically racist to encourage children to work hard and be kind. And they haven't just done that. They know, ch children can wear trainers. It doesn't matter about their uniform. Uh, they're not going to give them detentions for small behavior issues. And of course, anyone who knows children in a school, if you don't give detentions for the small behavior issues, the big behavior issues, they start slamming you know, their heads into mm. a wall. Mm. Now, how that helps black children in schools, God only knows. I mean, the fact is that uh, all children, whatever their color, mm. ought to learn the history of their country, ought to learn their times tables, ought to read um, the best that's been said and thought. And the thing is, the problem in what Rafe was saying, and, and, and this is where we need, those of us who think as we do, need to be able to defend this point. Because Rafe is making, he's making the point that uh, it's a European country, therefore we're going to teach European writers and European history, and of course that means it's mainly going to be a white curriculum. But um, I think it's more than that, actually. I don't think it's just about us being, I mean, I think that's true, and if we were in China, clearly we'd be teaching Chinese history, and we wouldn't be teaching British history. But I think it's more than that. The Western canon uh, has a value. <laughs> and uh, Shakespeare has been influencing writers for 400 years. Mm -hmm. And Maya Angelou, for instance, the African-American writer, who I have quoted twice on my wall in my office and who I love, um, she always used to say that, you know, she thought Shakespeare, when she first read him, she thought he must be a black woman because he understood the plight of the black woman so well. You know, because Shakespeare is universal and he speaks of jealousy and rage and anger and joy and all of these human mm. characteristics and, 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 and things that make us, you know, gives us a soul. And all of us should be able to access Shakespeare, whatever color we are. And it's very odd that in 2020, we seem to think that white children can identify and understand with Shakespeare, but the black children can't. Mm. And if the black child is not taught Shakespeare, but the white child is, well, the, black, the white child is a great advantage because Shakespeare has been influencing our culture and our writing for so long, for 400 years. And the thing about, you know, and then we talk about, you see, this is where what I'm saying becomes relatively controversial because then you say, well, are you saying white writers are better than black writers? And, and the thing about dead white men, so we're very pro de teaching dead white men, is that everybody concentrates on the men bit and on the white bit, when actually the important bit is the fact that they're dead. <laughs> They've been dead for hundreds of years, and yet they have influenced writing for all of this time. And so that is why we should teach them. And of course, in 400 years, you know, you say, well, what about black authors? I am a black author, but I would never suggest that they should be teaching my books instead of Shakespeare. It's just absurd. Um, so wait a minute, when you're saying it, the important thing is, it, uh, let's clarify this, you mean yes. that they're just showing how influential they are. You're not obviously saying it's good that they're in the past. No, it's also good that they're in the past. I mean, what? what? Because they've been around forever. <laughs> So their influence has been around forever. So, you know, a rose would smell as sweet and, you know, all these various expressions that we use all the time um, that come from Shakespeare. We ought to know this and we ought to be familiar with this. Um, 
And we hold our children back if we don't. And what shocks me and terrifies me is that well-meaning teachers, they are well-meaning, in the classroom are denying black children a certain uh, education of the Western canon because they think that black children cannot identify with white authors or with white history, whatever white history means. <laughs> That's what they think. And so then they think they need to decolonize it all in order for these children to be able to access it. And my point is, well, all of our points is that, um, that children don't, in order to understand some history, it doesn't have to be the history of the people who look like you. And in order for you to read a book, it doesn't have to be written by an author who looks like you. Now, it is a problem if everything is completely whitewashed. I do think that's a problem, and it was a problem. I'm not sure it's such an issue now, although we'll never really know because none of this is ever assessed, and so we have no idea. The only thing I would say, sorry, before I come in here, uh, Rafe, is... Uh, you know, you're talking about, you know, I totally agree, you know, what is it, you know, why, why, why won't black kids as, as much as white kids, you know, appreciate classical music, say, or whatever it yes, might be. Exactly. But the point is the decolonization movement is not just about education, even though I'd say it's the most important, it's going across the board. So we've had, you know, for example, in uh, the British Library this week, they're even talking about maybe revising or questioning whether statues of Beethoven and Mendelssohn should be there because they are basically white Western civilization. Now, that, that is not about whether, you know, this is, this is crazy stuff, isn't it? Yeah, but I agree with, with, with much of what Catherine says, particularly about these universal values and universal truths and knowledge and the, the global value of, of you know, f philosophers from, from, you know, from, from Buddha to Christ, from, from Shakespeare you know, onwards, you know, of course, these are global figures, but of course, we are, my point was, we're in a majority white country, you wouldn't ask an Indian, why is my curriculum so brown? You don't expect Africans to have an expert knowledge on Chinese history, do you? So, I mean, right, the, the fact is, nowhere in the world has more diversity of, of courses covering global subjects than Britain and America and the Anglosphere, right? These, these countries, you can c cover every part of the globe far, in far more breadth than anywhere else in the world. Nowhere has such a diverse uh, academic uh, background to their stars in terms of the racial profiling of all the university academics. I mean, Catherine's focusing on, on, on primary and secondary schools, but the decolonizing of the curriculum is very much, and I'm much more interested in the university side, where I think it's much more, much more, much more, much more potent. But it's also extremely offensive and patronizing to say that black people can't actually learn about these characters because they don't share the same color. I mean, this is absurd. And it also, as I said before, it ignores the fact that international students flock to, to, to America and to Britain. And if people from China and India can come over here and study sub subjects in white universities without this feeling of oppression or this inability to learn, that that's another you know, overarching issue. And that's why I have a problem also with this idea of BAME, black and minority ethnics, as if they're one cohesive group. You know, there's so many different gradations there, even within the subcontinent between Bangladeshis and Indians. There's huge differences between the achievements of different groups in, in the academic system and this idea that everyone is, is a whole block. And it's also you know, offensive, I would say, to, to, 
it's a re it's a re-racializing of of um, society and of the academic programs. You know, Martin Luther King, of course, famously said, "Judge people by the content of you know of, of themselves rather than of their skin." Now, his name would need to be decolonized today because he's named after a dead white man, Martin Luther, isn't he? Right. But that but that's a person I think who, who really shows how we've gone to this in, this, in, this insane position right now. And um, but I agree on, on the on the on the point basically that there are universal values, but it goes beyond literature and history and philosophy. Even science is now being questioned because the, the scientific principles of today, which are global and which have lifted the world out of poverty and pestilence, came from the Enlightenment. And so now you have scientists calling for the decolonization of science because of its inherent racism, which is perpetuated today. And there's this idea that colonization and the evil effects of colonialism are not in the past, that they are present and ongoing today in universities, which are the most woke institutions in the world. And yet these are apparently the hotbed of the far right and of, you know, jingoistic imperialists. I mean, it's a completely absurd world that we're now living in, and I want to get off it, actually. Also, I believe that we, England has produced, Britain has produced some of the best writers and the best thinkers in the whole world, and why shouldn't we be uniting behind that and teaching and teaching children and and um, students at university to actually feel grateful to be part of such an incredible heritage mm -hmm. and also the truth is decolonizing of the curriculum will ultimately if we're just erasing these figures from our history and instead replacing them with whatever suits the quota box whatever ticks the box um, it will ultimately I guess lead to um, generations who are less educated than others who don't know as much because they're not being taught um, the highest standard and that would obviously work very well for the left which needs generations who are basically just mindless lemmings and who will vote for them and fall for their victimhood narrative and um, and fall for their whole racism which they which ultimately just causes division so I, I look at my generation and in fact I'm I guess I get I get a bit nervous sometimes thinking if there was a world war would my generation stand up and fight for Britain fight for our values um, even though so many of us have no connection to that and do not feel linked to our past. And that's really worrying because we need people who, who feel connected to this land and feel connected to our ancestors and who are able to stand up and fight for that if that, if that should ever happen. But the thing is though, mm. isn't it, that how can you fight for something that you, you, don't, that know. you don't know about? Mm. I mean, and that you don't love. You know, or, or that you just don't know about. Mm. I mean, you know, the, the extraordinary, the, the, the number of like younger people who do not know about Parliamentary democracy coming here, or, or, or yeah. you know, the Magna Carta. Or the Carter, fact that we had such a huge role in abolishing slavery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet many of the BLM protesters would never know that fact because it's not being taught, because it doesn't suit the left's narrative that we are this evil colonialist nation who came in and destroyed half the world, and that's the total opposite of the truth, in fact. And yeah. You're looking as though you find that controversial. Well, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go as far as saying all of that. I mean, look, I, I do. I, I don't think for the vast majority of people on the left, I mean, I think, yes, it's true for some, but uh, that they're kind of sat there rubbing their hands together and thinking what we need are a bunch of illiterate children who will just become idiots, who will shine our shoes. And um, Well, it's not that, but you if you look at my generation, they don't have any spine. They don't have the courage to yeah. even believe in ourselves as a nation. And that's why I think so many people my age actually wouldn't, do not think Brexit is a good idea, not because um, they, they, they know they know about it, but purely because they haven't been empowered with the feeling that we can do this. We're, no, you yeah. know, the fifth largest economy in the world. Yeah, 
But that, I just wouldn't mm. say that that was deliberate. Well, when I, I was know, saying these are well-meaning teachers, they are. I and know, I do and many of them are, 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 are working so hard and giving everything to these kids. They've just, they just don't... I mean, what's bizarre is that the progressives are constantly one talking about making children creative and independently minded and to have their be able to form their own opinions. Meanwhile, they're kind of pushing them down a particular road and wanting them to think in one particular way. And... Um, and they don't really show them the two sides. And they talk about diversity, but there's never any diversity of thought. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when Alice was talking earlier before we came on and she said she just finished her A-levels, I couldn't believe it. I thought, well, who is this young woman who thinks like this? I've never heard of a young person <laughs> thinking like this just on their own. It's just extraordinary. So, and, and, and it is extraordinary because, sadly, the school system, I do think, is failing to encourage ch children mm. to, to think for themselves. And then they end up at university where they're all a bit snowflakey and upset whenever the statue or upset with the slightest little thing with, you know, and they suddenly can't uh, identify with, with, with doing something that isn't someone of their own skin, skin colour. And that comes back to what mm. you were saying, Alice, about the country. You know, the British values and the country is the one thing that unifies us. We're in a multicultural mm. society. And if we deny Britain and uh, reject it because we're so critical of, of, of her past, uh, and we're unable to see how lucky we are to live in a country where you can be gay, and it's not just fine, you can celebrate it in a pride march, whereas in 22 countries, you'll, it is not yeah. just illegal, you will, you, you will suffer death. <laughs> if, yeah. if you're gay you know yeah. the, I feel like many of these people haven't traveled they don't know what's out there they don't know what the alternative is you know you always need to ask well what's it like in comparison to what you know if it's so awful well in comparison to what you I think know? You see, the funny thing is about that as you can see a very good point that you made but so I feel that that's the one thing that they absolutely do do and that is travel I mean <laughs> the, I, the idea yes, that true. they would bother to go on their gap year to help people on a council estate in Nuneaton it just wouldn't come up wouldn't come into their heads it's got to be Namibia or it's got to be somewhere else because that will make them feel good I mean if I can bring in Calvin, who's waiting patiently there by his mic. Um, Calvin, uh, you know, I started at the top of the programme, just in relation to what we've just been talking about. I started by saying, you know, this school that's just got this award in London uh, won't or doesn't anymore, for example, uh, teach about the seven wonders of the world. Uh, is that because that would be considered to be sort of white knowledge? You know, it, it, the implication was somehow or other that this was the seven wonders of the world was a kind of white thing and that somehow, you know, they should talk, in the particular case of this school, it was about their local history. Um, that, that's what they said. I mean, do you think, I mean, Rafe made the point as well earlier that basically subjects are being relativized in this way. This is a very worrying thing, isn't it, Shirley? I think, I think you're onto something there, but... I what I'm seeing in this conversation is that it always comes back to identity, as it often does when we're arguing with the left. And we're arguing on their territory about their issue, which is ID. Um, and with identity politics, they're assuming that pupils are going to identify first and foremost as black or first and foremost as white, rather than looking at the bigger picture. I don't think a lot of our kids look like uh, think like that. I don't think they assume uh, that the first or core part of their identity is their melanin count. What I see in schools like in Catherine's, for example, they teach Britishness that, you know, 
everyone is part of the same community, whether that's the school community or this nation that we happen to live in. And that is something that unites us. And we should all be proud of that. And that should be the core part of our identity. But with that comes, you know, taking away the individualistic side of it, comes a sense of service and duty and responsibility to each other. We belong to something bigger than just ourselves and our own skin color. We belong to this sense of Britishness that, you know, it's difficult to define, but we all know what we see it. Uh, I think if you shift the argument back onto that and take it away from identity, which is where they want, where, where they are comfortable, and say, actually, no, we're not, the curriculum isn't black or white. Uh, we're not teaching about white figures or black figures. We're teaching British history because we live in Britain. And we should all be proud of our British values. But you see, Calvin, before, sorry, before, when you say that, you see, uh, uh, the impression one gets about the educational establishment and about schools is that if you said that, uh, I don't know what your peers would think of that. Would, if you said we should teach togetherness in a sense of overarching Britishness, would they sort of say, oh, no, no, we can't possibly do that because that would be automatically in an odd way exclusive automatically wrong or, or you know or what is that is, it, what what if you say that if you want to do that what would the react have you ever come a, 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 up against a bad reaction to that oh all the time i every time i get an opportunity to speak at an educational conference i always say we should be promoting british values because the teacher standards say we shouldn't undermine British values, which is very passive, it's not very active. I think we should actively promote them. But then people say, well, what are British values? We don't know what they are. But we do, because the government clearly prescribes British values as democracy, the rule of law, tolerance for um, people of different faiths and non, uh, and inclusivity towards all people. These are British values. And then people say, well, they're not exclusively British. How can we say that they're ours? That's missing the point. You know. I'm not saying that any of these things are exclusively ours. I'm sure there are many countries around the world that celebrate these values, but I can point out to many others that don't as well. And that's why we should be proud of them. And we have helped spread parliamentary democracy around the world. We have helped highlight how um, civil law can be uh, good to promote civil, civil liberties and all of these things. Um, so why should we celebrate the positives? And this is something that our academia in particular, as well as our educational sector, are always bringing us down on and flipping back around, I think. And Calvin's absolutely right, and that was superb. And of course, what the Michaela School's doing as well is is absolutely stellar. But unfortunately, there is definitely in the, in the minority. Uh, and you know, as I've often said, you know, <laughs> at the last election, fewer than ten percent of primary school teachers voted for the Conservative Party. Um, in the nineties, when I was at university, I went to graduate school at the University of Toronto, uh, and um, there was a two to one bias of two liberals for every one conservative. Now it's a nine to one bias. That's a sea change that's happened in the space of 20 years or so. And so whether you're looking at primary school, at secondary school, at post-secondary education, there has been a huge shift. There's always been a left-leaning bias in education. That's always been the case. But the shift that's happened over the last 20 years has been profound to the point where it's almost a, a 10 to 1 bias against, as opposed... And, and you, wouldn't want a, a, you wouldn't want that bias on the right or the left. Everything needs to have a healthy balance if you're going to have a productive society. It's the yin and the yang. You need to have that for any healthy society. And unfortunately, what I'm seeing now is, is, is a generation of children who are growing up without any exposure to the very principles and values and beliefs or just contrarian views that we, we, we see espoused here where we are the counterculture and ironically there's the traditional conservatives who are the counterculture and you know the old adage is you know give me a boy until he's seven and I will show you the man well it's now a case of give me the boy until he's 21 or 18 and I'll show you somebody who's completely brainwashed and um, 
that's, that's more or less what we're seeing now yeah. in the system. And, you know, we have to actually speak about this in plain terms because it has got to that point, you know. I may not have said that 15 years or 10 years ago, but now it seems to me that when you have a situation where if those under 25 had been the only ones voting in the election, there would have been an, what, something like 80% of the seats in the House of Commons would have been for Jeremy Corbyn. There is a pro problem here, and the Tory party aren't addressing it with their ageing population, and something needs to be done if we are to actually have some semblance of sanity returned, something has to happen in the teacher training colleges, or maybe even eradicate the, the, the teacher training colleges and come to some other form whereby people are, are trained to be teachers in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a healthier environment, which is actually open to diversity of opinion and diversity of thought, and to a wider range of views, because the system as it is currently, I think, is broken. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree with what Rafe is saying. It, it, it does start in the schools. Uh, people always say, how has this happened now, 2020, and how are the universities like this? And I always think, well, it's pretty obvious. It's because they're coming through our schools. <laughs> and at school, what, the way they're taught, and the fact that, I mean, we sing God Save the Queen, uh, I Vow to Thee My Country, and Jerusalem. I don't know of any other state schools that do that. And I certainly know that when teachers come and see us do it, they sort of you can see them bristle. <laughs> they don't like it. They feel very uncomfortable. Now, my staff, who are amazing and, and extremely tolerant and open-minded, um, I would say the patriotism is probably the hardest thing. Of all the things that we do differently, and we do everything differently in comparison to other schools, I'd say the, the, that, the singing and the belief in Britain and the flag flying outside, that is probably the thing everyone struggles with the most. But um, they come to see the benefits, and there's so many benefits. It, it binds us all. We're all together. When you all sing together, there's this wonderful feeling in the room and this sense of community and love. And, and you know, when the football was on, when we, the World Cup, I mean, what do I know about football? Nothing. But I made sure that I found out lots about it. And we had England flags everywhere. And I'd come in and I'd say, did you see us against Colombia? And it was all, you know, rah, rah, go England, you know. And, um, and that's because we have a very multicultural community with children of all different colours. And... Um, Britain is the one thing that binds us together. We have Muslims and Hindus and Jewish kids and, and, and Buddhist kids and all kinds of kids. I mean, Jehovah Witnesses and, you know, and then you've got all these different races and colours and so on. Well, what's the one thing we've got in common? Britain. <laughs> and what Calvin was saying about all of those, um, you know, he said, oh, the rule of law and democracy and everyone. The reason why so many teachers say, well, what's the point of that? I mean, who cares? Everybody has that. But they don't. This is the thing. When I say they don't travel, and you're quite right, they do, but somehow they travel with, with kind of, I don't know. They're, I they're, think when they, they can't travel, see what when they travel, see. Yes, when, uh, I, sorry to interrupt there. Because I think the thing is, when they travel now, uh, they travel in an odd way without the curiosity of older people. Mm. They, they, they don't notice nuance. They just, to them, they've sort of been taught everything sort of not British is lovely and fluffy and warm. You know, yeah. somehow they should embrace. So, you know, and, and you go and you try the cuisine and you don't know that the place hangs gay men, for example. Yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. No, exactly, you know. exactly. Yeah, That's exactly is, what's yeah. going on. And it's really, mm -hmm. it, it's really worrying. And, um, in but I just, I was thinking in any other part of the world, you know, being united under our flag and singing patriotic songs would be very much celebrated and commemorated and welcomed. If you look at um, schools in Japan, 
Um, I know an English teacher who went there and was really impressed by their patriotism and the fact that, that all the children felt very much as though they belonged to this, um, this sense of community. And we don't have that here, and I, and I do believe it's because there has been a sort of leftist infiltration, at least from my experience. I know my teachers um, always, in all subjects, everything was sort of taught from a lens of whether it's you know, the patriarchy or or um, gender ideology. It was actually ideology. like that when yeah. you were doing some yes. like A-levels. Oh, definitely. All my texts, we had to have like feminist viewpoints and stuff, which is obviously so utterly boring. And it's really, I think, um, it's, it's not very progressive at all because ultimately we're just going backwards in everything, whether it be um, intellectually or spiritually or morally. When I don't think children are being, um, you know, being, are being given the opportunity to actually learn more and, and think freely and think critically about what we're being taught. Instead, everything has to be through a kind of lens of racism or sexism or whatever, and it's, it's very, very uh, dull indeed. And it's all actually basically power, as you were saying. It's about oppressed and, oppre uh, yeah. oppressed and oppressors. It's, a, it's sort of about, it's about power and essentially who has it. I mean, if we, if we are sort of actually agreed on, the, you know, broadly about this, what is to be done, you, you know, you said, what you do, for example, uh, Michaela, uh, you are very specific, you sing God says the Queen and you do these things. Um, you are, as you say, in a minority. I mean, Calvin, what, how do you, how do we turn this thing around? If, if basically, this is the case that like, all the points we've made, that essentially we're going in the wrong direction. Where do you start? I mean, where do you, where do you practically start? I think evidence. So I'm an evidence-based teacher and I think everything we do should be backed up by research. Um, if they're saying that kids aren't learning about Black history, let's do some research into that. Let's do some polling of teachers, find out what's being taught in schools, and then we can you know, give it back to them. Say, Actually, this is being taught, and what you're talking about is nonsense. Let's also look at uh, what the point is that they're saying. So they're saying they want to decolonize the curriculum. They want more, uh, black history in the curriculum. What is the end goal? What is the reason behind that? Is it because they think that black students need to see more black people on the curriculum in order to get, get self esteem or to recognize themselves? Let's look into that too, because I'm sure that's not the case either. I don't think most, like I've said earlier, I don't think most of our black kids would identify as black first and foremost anyway. It's a bracket or BME, a bracket that doesn't work. Uh, and it comes back to the narrative of oppressor versus victim and even that is false if we look at our schooling system we can collate evidence that will show black african kids are excelling they're actually doing a lot better than every other ethnicity um black caribbean kids aren't doing so well that is something we can look at but just to say that oh black kids are being held back because of uh, white superiority or, or white privilege is nonsense for me to throw evidence in their face to uh to prove well, indeed, our kids aren't being held back. All the ki kids, whatever colour they are, are doing really well at Michaela. And there's a reason for that, because we teach them well. Yes. I, I remember I used to do um, surveys with the kids at school, like not at Michaela, this is over many years. And whenever I'd ask them what was important to them uh, in their teachers, and I'd ask them whether they cared about their race and whether they cared if they were male or female and various things, they don't care. What they care about is having a good teacher in front of them. That's what kids want. That's so true. And of course they want a good teacher. What do they care whether or not the teacher's white or black or male or female? <laughs> they want to be taught well. And um, that is something, uh, sadly, I don't think is always happening in our classrooms. Uh, and that's partly because they want 
to so there was a big campaign for instance that in music that we ought not to be teaching Mozart and we should be teaching Stormzy now first of all we're not teaching much, much Mozart in the first place. I mean, that's the thing. So they say, oh, we're teaching all this Mozart and all this classical music. I only wish schools were teaching loads of classical music. And then they say, we must teach Stormzy. And I think, well, the children already know Stormzy. In fact, they listen to his music constantly. And if you were to hear some of the lyrics of Stormzy's music, I'm not fond of them listening to Stormzy. And yet, not only do you want them listening to it, you want them being taught it in schools. You know, I once, when you mentioned Beethoven earlier, I was thinking about once when I gave an assembly, um, and I talked about how difficult it was for them growing up nowadays because they are surrounded by images of, you know, women's bottoms and whatever and all this kind of nonsense that you would see on, you know what I mean, in the music videos. And um, I said, the thing is, when I was growing up, there was none of that. I grew up with Kylie Minogue. She was the most kind of outrageous thing. And, uh, and it's very different for you. Anyway, I went on about Beethoven and I put up a picture of him and his wig was there and everything. And then I played da-da-da-da because I thought, you need to know Beethoven's fifth. This is really important. And why? Because this is cultural knowledge. You know, if you want to exist in the Western world, if you don't know this and aren't familiar with it, but you only know Stormzy, then, then, then you're missing out on life. Later, when I was eating lunch with them, I realized that because I'd spoken about Kylie and Beethoven, they had assumed that they were contemporaries. Yeah. Now, that is how little children know. And I'd even had his wig on. I mean, you know, <laughs> but, but they, don't, they don't know. And I think too often the public and even teachers presume that children know a lot more than they actually do. And when I talk about the Western canon, I'm talking about them not knowing that Paris is the capital of France, about them not knowing. I remember a teacher once telling me about how he was talking about America getting involved in the war and, um, and how, um, how difficult this was. And he went on and then he came to realize they didn't really understand. And then he showed them a map and then they understood because America's really far away. But they didn't know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, like, and, 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 and when I'm telling you, basic things are not being taught in our schools, um, except then when they're met with the kind of nonsense that you're saying, you know, look, a statue is actually the reason why you're feeling so uncomfortable in your country. It's not because you haven't been taught mm. to be British and it's not because you don't actually know anything about your country. It's because that evil statue of a, of, of a man who once owned slaves is there and that's the problem. Well, why wouldn't they yeah. uh, uh, you know, focus on that? Because they don't have enough knowledge in their heads in, of history uh, to be able to critically address any of this. You know, the biggest revolutionary, Stokely Carmichael, a Black Panther, who co coined the term Black Power, um, he went to a traditional school, Bronx High School, where he was, he was, um, he, he was taught traditionally. Nelson Mandela, a uh, great revolutionary, was taught in a traditional fashion. Um, my thing is not because people say, oh, well, you're obviously trying to create robots, Catherine. Oh, absolutely not. I expect some of my, my kids will become dentists, sure. But some of them will become revolutionaries. And you know why? And they'll be much better than the current revolutionaries, my mm -hmm. children. They'll be much better because they'll know stuff. And they'll be able to build arguments. And I don't understand why anyone would want to prevent children from accessing knowledge. But that's precisely what's going on. I think it, it is sort of, I, I would say that it's not just poor teaching. I do feel that there is something intentional behind it. I mean, you know, I, I can't help feeling that there is such a uh, self-loathing and, dis, you know, disgust at one's own history that it comes out whether they like it or not. I mean, would you... Well, yeah, absolutely. And there's 
I'm, I'm holding out some hope here. We've just seen in the last few days with the new Director General of the BBC seemingly ushering in a new, a, a new age into the BBC of redressing the, the left-leaning imbalance there. We've seen Dominic Cummings wanting to, to um, overhaul the public, the civil service. So I'm hopeful that something can be done about education too over the course of the next five or hope maybe even ten years because it really does require that sort of a long-term view over five or ten years. Now I've addressed the problem of teacher training colleges. There needs to be on the primary and secondary school levels, a return to a core traditional curriculum of the classics and history, history, history. That needs to be really taught and embedded because you'll be amazed, not even at school level, people in their 20s and 30s and 40s who would lack basic knowledge of things. I mean, I've even watched a quiz show with you know, leading celebrities, including an academic professor, of, uh, professor, and they placed the English Civil War in the 19th century. You know, these are people who are, these are, these are, these are, these are influences of our society and people who on Twitter have large followings and everyone assumes that they have a standard of education and knowledge. And if you have that much ignorance there by the these leaders of men and women, who's just, you know, how can we expect people you know, on lower, younger levels to know anything better? So that's, that's the public school system, but certainly in terms of universities too. The problem came with Tony Blair creating so many polytechnics, making them into these universities, and we know full well now, of course, if you look at, um, for example, the Brexit vote, those young people who didn't go to university were more likely to vote for Brexit than those who didn't, than those who went to university. And people are being churned out of the education system now with these degrees which have little value, these Mickey Mouse courses on, on gender studies and, you know, and all, every other study you can think of, which were created without any scientific basis whatsoever. And this is the time now, especially now when we have COVID and everyone is looking to, for, to secure their funding, for the government to say, if you're funding these Mickey Mouse courses, you aren't going to get any funding. Close down these, these women's studies, close down gender studies, close down these, these nonsensical Mickey Mouse courses, focus on stem cells, focus on the classic core uh, curriculum and syllabuses in universities. Let's usher in a revolution, because only, only a drastic policy like that will have any hope of redressing the, the imbalance. Mm. Uh, you're not doing gender studies, I hope. Definitely or, uh, not. I'm <laughs> a classicist. And, and I was just thinking about um, Catherine and both um, Catherine and Wraith and Calvin were saying, which is, I think, ultimately, the most important thing is that we should be equipping our youth with a sense of, of empowerment. And the best way to do that, I believe, is not to tell them that they can't achieve, you know, whatever in life because they're a woman or because they're an ethnic minority, but that because we live in Britain, which, by the way, is the only privilege that we should be talking about, um, that we are able to achieve whatever we can because this is a great country which offers opportunity to everyone no matter where you come from, um, no matter your origin um, or what you believe. So that I think is ultimately the most empowering message we can give to our youth. And I'm wondering why instead everything is about you know, belittling you and making yeah. you think of, you know, if, you, if you're from a poor family you'll never do this or if you're a woman then you can, you can expect to be hammered by the patriarchy, <laughs> this invisible force. But well, yeah. it's because of what Peter was yeah. saying about the white guilt. I, um, yeah. It's very hard when white people, uh, too many of them, because obviously there are some who can see um, past this guilt, where they feel so guilty about the history of their country and their people. And I say their people <laughs> in inverted commas. Um, uh, they... They, they, they have to reject it. You would never imagine in Colombia during the World Cup that people would be sat in a bar saying, 
So are you supporting, who are you supporting? Brazil? Or are you supporting England? Are you, I mean, it'd be mad. Everyone would be supporting Colombia. The, the, the idea is absurd that anyone would, 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 would support anything else. Whereas in England, you go into a pub, you don't really know who's supporting what. And I mean, mm. that, it, there's something wrong with that. Now, maybe not everywhere. Certainly in London, if you go into oh, a pub, yeah. you know, you wouldn't, you just don't know. And actually, as a white person, you feel uncomfortable expecting people to, 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 to back England. And you're so uncomfortable that, um, you know, England is the only country where we have to actually write England on our flag. I mean, well, that's <laughs> it's, so true. Well, it's I think it comes right back, doesn't it, to, he's, he's been done to death, this quote, really, but George Orwell famously said, you know, England's, England's yeah. intellectuals are the only ones who, ha who basically are ashamed of their own nationality. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that, we're talking about intellectuals, but that, that goes right the way down to society, particularly now that that class has sort of expanded. So it's gone through the universities and the schools. And, and frankly, you know, unless we shake it off somehow, I think it, it well, frankly, I don't know what will happen, but mm -hmm. I think that's what we're going to do. Well, but the only, it, it is very, uh, it's deeply embedded. And white people, many white people, I think, are, t are responsible for this because they are so guilty. Now, somehow we need to explain. I'm What I'm always trying to explain is that guilt doesn't help anyone. If you want to help these poor black children, you want to help uh, anyone, if you're guilty, it prevents you from being honest and decent and sensible and having the right kinds of goals for these children because ultimately everything that motivates you is about alleviating your guilt. So you do things just to make yourself feel better about who you are as opposed to doing what's right for those children. Um, so in a school environment, you don't want to give them detentions because you feel bad because you think, but I don't know what it's like to be poor. I don't know what it's like to be black. Maybe he didn't do his homework because it's hard for him at home. I'm a white privileged person and I don't want to hold him to the standards that would mean that he'd do his homework. But if you don't get him to do his homework, that child will fall behind. So yeah. your guilt is actually hurting them. And, and somehow we need to persuade white people of this so that they can abandon that guilt. Well, also just simply from what you're saying there, just not to be so damn narcissistic, actually, yeah. you know, and think all the time yeah. of what, how they feel. Well, th I think that's it, actually, for, uh, for this week. Uh, great conversation, I think you'd agree. Uh, thank you very much to Calvin, uh, to Catherine, to Alice, and, of course, to Rafe. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show and that you watch next time. So, uh, in the meantime, as well, do remember to look at our website, our new campaign, saveourstatues.org.uk. Uh, it's great the number of people who've signed up to it and shown their support already. So uh, I hope you continue to do that, won't you? And uh, also subscribe to the channel. Thank you very much. See you.